0: I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Let me uh, check my notes here. Uh, Professor Wagstaff. (laughs) Venomous Vinny. Good to be with you again, folks, as we... It's not a traditional mash, it's a documentary mash. Just a little bit longer since we've done a, a documentary mash, so here we are. I'm Grizzly Abner, and I chose... Haunters. Nay, not Haunters Art of the Scare, which we've covered. This is another one called wee Haunters. Wee <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> uh,
1: professor here, I picked Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. Hi.
2: is Vinny. I chose At the Drive-In, 2017. Alright. When will I start calling it 2017 and not say 2000 like an old person's? <laughs> The world may never know. <laughs> the world
0: may, in fact, never know. All right, I believe we decided that we would start with Haunters. Yes, correct?
2: Correct. Correct.
0: Um, As I look up the date for Haunters, 2014 is when Haunters came out. Um, and it is about Phobia House, a haunted house in Michigan. And so I chose this because uh, over the course of time, we've been... Kind of covering some of our favorite docs about haunts and home haunts and haunters, etc. It's not a real deep pool. And so I maybe only have one more after this. Well, there's a new one that just came out that Mm -hmm. we may cover it after a while. But I thought with it being uh, the Halloween season, even though this episode will come out after this, uh, it'd be worth talking about it. And so this is one of my top uh, haunter documentaries. It's fun. And I really think that it captures... Vinny knows this very well, just what it looks like to work at a haunt with some quirky volunteers and to deal with everything that comes along with that Mm -hmm. and to see also people who are sincere about the haunt business because the family that owns it is very sincere about it. So I think it's a fun behind-the-scenes look whether you've worked at a haunt before or whether you're curious of what really does go on behind the scenes of the little roadside haunt two towns over because this is a, a snapshot of that.
2: And it's edited very well too, and, and tells a story. So even I think somebody who's not necessarily uh, and looking to watch something about haunters in particular, I think it's still interesting enough character-wise with the people who are in it to make
0: it a fun thing for somebody to watch who's not necessarily into that kind of thing. And someday Vinny and I will start a spin-off podcast called Documentary Weirdos. <laughs> we always joke about this, and this is perfect documentary weirdo fodder. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that if you're just into quirky documentaries about people in general, this is a great one. And so I kind of
1: take that as you guys don't want me here. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for that. Actually, (laughs) if we could talk. (laughs) Um,
0: so this was, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this. I It's fun. I watch it every October. So, uh, yeah, professor, I'm guessing you're first.
1: Yes. Uh, each time you've picked these, it's been my first, which it's really kind of become a whole topic. I really enjoy. Um, I'll just say right up front with this one, what I liked about it is I felt like there was no exploiting of a weirdo. No, yeah, we're never laughing at them. Yeah, and and I and I never think that as a viewer, but I feel like a lot of times these documentaries we watch kind of set out to do something, then they encounter the particular yes quirkiness of somebody <clears> and go, thank God now we got a feature runtime, right? Versus mm-hmm. just showing the straightforward stuff. Whereas this really doesn't take a cheap route. it It just truly documents the experience of somebody who's had a little bit of adversity with their show and what they're gonna do to make it work. Um, and so in that regard, I think this is a really nice addition to have in the middle of the topic. Mm-hmm. like you get some of the the ones that showcase unfortunate kind of personalities, other ones that are weird and charming and lovable. I, I really like that this was just straightforward. Yeah, I kept waiting for the the weird twist and I was like, it was
0: refreshing. Yeah, none of them are ever a creep. None of them are ever getting rich off of it. It's just... Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. I got a couple Except of notes. Except one guy who's not allowed to go out on Halloween night. That's a little suspicious. <laughs>
0: hey, listen. His, his, his probation officer said nobody's allowed There's to a certain
2: out. type of people they don't let out on Halloween night of your own probation.
0: Oh, oh, I just thought about general troublemaking. Now you're really giving me some ick factor here. Yeah. Ugh. Okay.
2: I got nothing to back that with uh, for this guy personally, but when it said it, it
0: raised an eyebrow, I'll tell you that. Like Larry Talbot with metal <laughs> underwear. I was going to say, it's the difference of a guy who has kids and the way he hears things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vinny, uh, surely you've seen this a handful of oh, yeah, times. Oh, yeah. I... I think the
2: first time I watched it was with you. I think we watched it one night. and uh, I've seen it, I want to say, probably at least four or five times at this point. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. At least. Yeah,
2: sure. It's just got that... Number one, being somebody who has worked in haunts for years, Mm -hmm. uh, it rings very familiar in so many ways, from uh, fire marshals causing you issues to... What you go through with volunteer actors, uh, the type of actors that you get, the drama between haunts, like it's all there. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect encapsulation of, of, of what that uh,
0: field is like. And that opening shot where there's just like a dozen of them outside smoking cigarettes right before the haunt opens, I'm like, perfect. That's yeah. the perfect opening shot. Yep. yep. <laughs> Nowadays it'd be people outside vaping, but like, yeah. yeah, it's just the. Pr- I'm like, that's it. That's anyone that anyone that any haunt that I've worked that wasn't for specifically for a nonprofit. Like that's it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, we're in Phobia House. We're in Michigan, I believe. Vinnie always makes me laugh when I think of the the dad who's the owner, the um, David Crosby guy. That's very much like David Crosby, <laughs> very much with the the hair, the facial hair. Um, and he, he runs a cool shop. It reminds me, we used to have a shop here in Muncie called Party Wizards. Mm-hmm. And you'd go in Party Wizards and you could about find whatever you are looking and, for. And there was
2: no room to walk in it. Oh, yeah. Just shelves and racks full of costuming. You could barely move. It was a fire hazard.
0: Oh, yeah. And costumes <laughs> on the rack so tight that you could barely thumb through. Yeah. Them. And then he's cool. He's like, I've, I've got 11,000 different costume ideas in here. And if I don't have it. I'll fabricate it for you. Yeah, and And he's he's
2: making latex masks. The scene where he's outside the store and all the latex masks are lined up drying in the sun, that's very familiar with us having pumpkin pulp here in town, especially when we were around in the early days of pumpkin pulp, making their masks, it is the same thing. Yeah. Very familiar.
0: Oh, yeah. and So I think that's really what's fun about
2: it. So Phobia House had been like a top-ranked haunt, but the fire marshal had shut them down the previous year. They lost a year of their season, yeah. of, their, of, their, of their business. And
0: essentially they've had to move a handful of times, whether it's been problems with property or fire marshals, et cetera. And so this is them trying it again at a new place that was like, what, like maybe a skating rink, then turned a paintball oh. arena.
2: Paint my, and Again... Pumpkin Pulps building. Yeah. Was a paintball arena at one time. Yeah. So, it, again, just the parallels are there. It's so, it's so very familiar. I could smell it. Just yeah. watching it. Oh, yeah.
0: I could smell that building. Yeah. Just any old place that you've ever been in. That-
2: it's what most haunts smell like.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> it really is. And it ha- I mean, half of their time is just cleaning up all the old shit that's in there. Yep. And they, you know, they turn on the faucets and brown water's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> and.
1: Oh, yeah, when he fills that two liter up with it. He's like, cool. i am not drinking
0: that. <laughs> and, again, the quirky characters. You've got the the lady who's going through cancer treatment. She'll pull her hair out for fun sometimes. <laughs> you got the one guy who's got a prosthetic leg who's going to work it into his bit. Yeah. you got the other guy who's, like, six foot eight who I think ends up having, like, some heart palpitations. Yeah, was, yeah, was, during was, the haunt. Who's, like, double chugging Red Bulls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got the suspension artist who is a... a kooky collector by day because how about the little guy in the the do-rag bandana who looks like he should be on the show moonshiners and not this <laughs> well town <laughs> i'm from don't exist no more it's at the bottom of a lake you know he's talking about i think maybe in georgia
2: <laughs> yeah yeah just a. and if you've ever worked in a haunted house oh yeah It's a collection of misfits. Absolutely. It's just a collection of misfits. And so, God, it's so familiar.
0: And like, you know, just a bunch of people who are genuinely just glad to be there doing what they're doing, having fun. Uh, No one's a jerk. No one's mean. They're, they're just a lovable
1: bunch of misfits. Yep. Well, I think it's also an extension of like what we're doing right here. It's finding ways to outlet inherently things we've loved since we were kids. That's, as you get older, become less and less acceptable to yeah. dominate your day. And so when you have these outlets like a podcast or a haunt, it's cool. You yeah. you get to channel it in there. And so even just recently I spent time at the one that Vinny worked at mm-hmm. uh, all through the month and, and watching them behind the scenes afterwards. is It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's really a place to just come together mm-hmm. and enjoy that. So, And I think this perfectly illustrates that as well. Yeah. yeah
0: definitely not a reason there's no call to go beat for beat on this doc. Just the other thing I'll touch on too is the the, the rivalry between haunts mm-hmm. uh you know they're they're convinced that someone from one of the other haunts is there watching them or they overheard somebody in the bathroom like, or they're
2: they're blocking signs and like just and it for anybody who's not been in the haunt industry, this is one hundred percent
0: exactly
2: how shit goes down one hundred percent.
0: There was a infamous haunt here in town that always had a rivalry with uh Scaravania. Scaravania never had a single problem <laughs> Never never had beef with them, but they sure had
1: beef with Scaravania. And if you ever
0: got on their page, it was just people like people who work there just burying Scaravania, talking about how whack it is and how much yeah, that's
1: usually out. not a, a good sign for the quality of their work if <laughs> if they're spending their time bitching about other people. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have no idea who you guys are talking about, so that's not a loaded statement. Yeah. Um I think one of the only
0: other things I'd touch on too is just, I forgot what I was going to touch on next. So, good job. I've got two things I want to mention. Please. Uh,
1: please. One, the quote, I've always had an interest in scaring kids. Uh, Got me to get my notepad. (laughs) When he said that, I was like, Jesus, I'm writing that down. I'm like, what adult actually says that out loud? And then the other one, uh, these people are obsessed with pee. Uh, they keep talking about how they made this person pee oh, yeah. going through. Oh, that about. that's very, which haunter. is like, yeah. well, and I totally get that. But specifically with this documentary, I was like, okay, this has come up more than once. I'm going to remember that element of this, that like, that's their barometer of in a fun way. I don't mean seriously, but like they like joking about making people piss their pants coming through there. Oh yeah.
2: There, there are haunts that hand out actor awards or merit badges like the boy, girl scouts, and one of them is if you've made somebody pee. Gotcha. They'll give it. We've had peers. We've had poopers are more rare, but and, and
0: vomiters. Yeah, yeah. That so that that was. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the other thing I wanted to talk about because that is a legit thing. Like sure. And then someone will come back and say, "Hey, we just got a call from such and such." Yeah, it's it's you more met. about
1: the celebra- yeah. celebration over the call.
0: Remember that one girl I was screaming? She beat her pants, and everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's real talk. <laughs> that, that's how
0: shit goes down, man. That is legit." But. Yeah, I've got a bunch of notes where if I felt like we needed to go beat for beat we could, but I mean I th- I think that we've covered it all.
1: I think the the goal of this like the rest of the ones we've watched with the exception of one that kind of got a little bit more dark with people's motives and interests, but I think this this perfectly captures the essence of it, which to the documentaries um the ones that you guys picked were perfect for this month because I I went out and enjoyed these things for the first time in like over a decade nice so I, I was really happy to watch both this and the at the drive end so. cool cool
2: i like that this this documentary does a fantastic job of of showing you haunt people in that that roller coaster that you you go on for a season mm-hmm. there's that added thing for these particular people of are we going to get this show to go because we don't have a home yet. Now we, we think we've found a home. There's that whole planning in the off-season. This guy's life is obviously haunted house. They even are at Transworld at one point, yeah. which I go to yearly right. with uh, Pumpkin Pulp. And so that was interesting to see that in a doc as well. And he also says, you know, he was killed in a car accident and resuscitated, and after that, uh, decided he was going to do whatever the
0: fuck he wanted. Yeah, he got to live for today. As
1: he said. And, uh, I love that part. That was my favorite part of yeah. the documentary. That and
2: cool. and that, that's something he's tried to instill in his sons: is yeah. is do whatever you're going to do because tomorrow's not promised. That which is really cool. But this guy runs this shop, so you know that it's kind of his thing year round. But to watch the preparation go in the build-up, the coming together of all the misfits, like the lady who has the cancer, she's older, and, and just the excitement of being there for the planning stages that, yes, we're going to get to do this. She's going through chemotherapy and is there every night
0: because she's not going to miss it. This is what she's got to look forward to.
2: And you watch the actors get together. You watch those after, and it's, the, it's absolutely the way it is that we'll have pizza at the end of the night, and the kids get together eat pizza. That's how they bond. They talk about... Who scared who, and this and they trade stories. So you show that bond. It just where you get territorial about what's the other haunt trying to do to us, and this and that. And then there is the final night. Then this, then like that, the season's over, and that passion that you've got. Now you have to wait a whole other year again for those few weeks of what you're passionate about to get that out of your system. I think it encapsulates that emotion
1: Mm -hmm. and that story of it very well. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that I'll be honest, uh, before covering uh, this topic on this podcast, I I hadn't really thought much about I didn't have experiences with these. I don't don't like putting myself in situations where people can screw with me, so I've never been big on going through haunts. Mm -hmm. I feel differently now. I love the environment and kind of the artistry of it. Um, but one thing I've really picked up, especially with these documentaries and then just even recently attending scarevania is, is the, f- the absolute fleeting nature of it, but at the same time making every ounce of it count. And so it's like this, this isn't just something people casually do because it's Halloween time. This means everything to people mm-hmm. and it's so quick. You spend all this time working so hard at it. And then for, you know, it, it's like, Oh, November. And so I feel like you're right. This documentary really taps into that. Uh, but again, in a, in a very true documentation, like a documentary should, they don't lean into to, to cheap angles. They don't pick the weirdest person in the group and just make half the show about them. This truly has a group camaraderie to it that they document. It was enjoyable. It's it's sincere. Yeah, yeah,
2: I liked it. Have you ever bought an old vintage uh, wax and paper
0: cup from? fast food restaurant? That dude bugged me so much. <laughs> Just go, oh man, I spend all this time at auctions. Look here, I found this this McDonald's cup from 1947. <laughs> like, and then like the lady being like, oh, like trying to show interest. Oh, cool. What about these cups? And No, no, those are or dime a dozen. dozen. The lady says dime a dozen. <laughs> dime a dozen. Not interested. Expert.
1: <laughs> oh boy. Totally recommend
2: this. Yeah. Totally recommend it. A lot of fun.
1: Especially going back into the ones that we've already covered and kind of smacking this right in the middle.
2: Cause the other one that we tend to watch, um, the American scream, mm-hmm. that one I feel like has a little more comedy to it, intentional or not. Yeah. This one doesn't quite have that.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, check it out. Uh, I've only, I've got one, I've got one more in my back pocket, so we'll probably do it next year around this time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna unless you guys I'm gonna have, pick it
1: first. Unless you guys have just quit the podcast and started your own. <laughs> uh, no, I wish you guys would do a spinoff. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Who's got the time? True that. On to the next one, then? Yep. All right. Uh, I picked Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. It came out last year. Uh, originally intended as a four-hour, whole big extravagant thing that then, when they realized it was going to be a theatrical release, shrunk it down. Uh, so there's actually a whole... A separate one that they've got called the rest of the story hmm. uh, which comes with the blu-ray if you want to watch it where they go a little deeper into it but um this is pretty straightforward they don't try and go investigative on some angle of his life it's literally just a story of who he was mm-hmm. and his career um just before we jump into it had you guys seen this before i think vinnie maybe had an interesting experience with the viewing of it uh Well, I had
2: seen the documentary, but it's not necessarily tied into the documentary, but I did get to go. Brian Blair and I went to Famous Monster Pizza in Decatur, Indiana. And that's what I was referencing. And Sarah Karloff was there and showed some home movies and some... Uh, that's what it was. Okay. Showed some interviews from uh, overseas that we had never seen before. But she sat and talked about her dad's career and got to meet her afterwards and
0: all of that. So that was really neat. Cool. No, this is my first time, and I really appreciated how straightforward it was. Awesome. <laughs> it's just, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's one of those things where I'm not going to go like beat for beat through the guy's career because I know that would get pretty exhausting. Um, but it's it's a really, it's done well, and it really showcases um, the talent that he had. And I think the consistent message with his career was that he was never too good for things. But he was all, and he was always a hard worker with it. But he also never let it completely dominate his life, like some artists do. Um, they have an interesting approach uh, for the feature that we watch, where it doesn't go completely linear, linear with starting mm-hmm. like from the day he's born. So the the cold open is kind of showing his last big boom in the late sixties. I
0: thought that was an interesting approach. I yeah. like
1: that. Um, I think because. Maybe the Grinch drives that decision because that touched so many people.
2: And still continues to. I would
1: say if there's two things that he's most famous for, it's Frankenstein and the Grinch. Without question. Um, And so they have that kind of cold open there, and and they touch on those things that they then circle back around. Um, They also... Then don't immediately start with the beginning of his life. They start with the beginning of his career mm-hmm. with American movies and how that was really launched with Criminal Code and Howard Hawks, um, which they're correct. It's an excellent movie. It's not horror, so we won't go into it. But that's what they show clips of in Targets, um, and that's what kind of really started to put him on the map. Um, they hit on other things like um, Five Start Final. He was in Scarface. I mean, he he, he made some marks early on in – outside of the genre, but, uh, he never shied away from it. He, he wasn't too good for it. And once it started paying the bills, that's where he was. Uh, obviously Frankenstein, uh, catapulted him in that regard. Um, a a star was born in that performance and then they started kind of putting mystery around his name and the old dark house, which we've covered on the Mm -hmm. podcast Mm -hmm. where they just have his name is Karloff. And they had to explain, yes, this is the same person which doing makeup. Um, but they kind of run through some of those pre-code, um, really a, a pretty impressive range of films. Uh, the Mask of Fu Manchu, where he gets sadistic in that. Um, the Mummy, The Black Cat. So, I mean, early on, he is all over the place in these performances. Now, had you guys seen a number of these films that they're covering, or is some of it just kind of going, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so, had you seen, seen some of the pre-codes? Yeah. yeah. So, it, it's interesting with that, because it's one of those things where I've watched Karloff my whole life, but it, and I know he, what his career is, but when you really start lining him up, bam, 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 in a documentary, it's like, holy shit, this guy just ran right out of the gates. But uh, then we jump into the beginning of his life, uh, born William Henry Pratt Britain, um, really tried to hide some of his ancestry with Coming from Indian. which is that I only became aware of this in
0: this documentary. Same here, that was all news to me. Yeah, so that Indian that, heritage that was really, I mean, I like the whole documentary, but that was really the most interesting thing to me was that he was Anglo Indian. No, yeah. that was a struggle for him and his family always, and that he was like typecast as a person of color in a lot
1: of the early stuff that mm-hmm. he did. I was like, what. Yeah, well, and they say that, and then they show young pictures of I it, mean, and you're like, okay, I kind of get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, uh, especially when you get into the older Universal movies. Jay Carroll Nash was like the resident minority. He played every race imaginable because he had a little bit of an ethnic look to him. So it's like it's interesting too how they kind of cast people back then. But um, you know, he had a, a little bit of a rough upbringing uh, that they go into. But then, and the one, the main thing I learned from this documentary that I didn't really know. Um, was I knew he'd done some uh, stage work in Canada but I didn't realize that that really was what kind of mm-hmm. started to yeah. launch him yeah. um, which they cover uh, in there with his career touring through the through Canada with that and then um the other thing that I that blew my mind was him encountering Juan Cheney once he got to Hollywood at the bus stop in the rain and getting a ride home yeah. Him. I, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was hearing because yeah. I mean, I've read about these guys. I, that story had just eluded me, and and his advice to him was go after the roles other people don't want and make them stand out. Yeah, and they sure, yeah, both of them did that, and that's why we're talking about him a hundred mm-hmm. years later. Um, and then just before a break here, uh, they they hit on workers' rights early on in his mm-hmm. career, where he he really took that serious, and that, which
2: again touching on modern day. We have the actor's strike happening right right Right. now. Yep. And this is all very reminiscent of the things that Boris Karloff would fight against, especially with his experience with the director from Frankenstein. Yep. that caused him a lifelong back injury.
1: Yeah. Being petty. And he he took this chance before he was Mm full-blown secure. And so I think that's what's notable with the documentary pointing out, is he stood up for what was right when he had everything to lose. Uh, But... He uh, he was notorious for sticking to that through his career. He was a complete gentleman, hard worker, gave it his all until it was time for tea. Or, this is our cutoff and I'm going yeah. home for the night. We're not doing another shot. Yeah. And so, Garloff was notorious for that. But I think that stuff had just as much of an imprint as these movies we talk about did. I've always been told that he was a one-take kind of guy. Like, so...
0: And that's also why Frank Sinatra wanted to be a one take guy because he loved Boris Karloff. Yeah. So I don't. They didn't mention that the documentary, but I thought that was an interesting thing. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that Frankenstein had started filming before Karloff was officially cast.
2: Yeah. I
0: didn't know that. Which is wild. I didn't know that either.
2: I figured. I mean, that's your centerpiece. <laughs> You would think that would be done before you did anything.
1: And it's interesting, too, with all of the lore that kind of swirls around these movies early on. Because we have to remember, they thought these were just going to be popcorn Mm -hmm. features that people would go see for a couple weekends and then forget about forever. And so the idea of the kind of interchangeable personalities that we all know and study now... It's fascinating, but yeah. at the time, it was just it's a business. For I loved Franken- his appearance
2: yeah. as the Frankenstein monster in that first movie when he wasn't quite as successful, and his face and body wasn't quite as filled out. He wasn't eating as well. Sure, uh, he looked so gaunt and like a reanimated corpse in that very first movie. That 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 to well, me is, is that's it? that to me is the best presentation of the Universal uh, Frankenstein monster.
1: He's excellent Yeah uh, Looked great in Bride But yeah In Frank, that first Frankenstein that, that turn in the doorway Yes Which they romanticize In the documentary And rightfully so There's a reason That is in Universal's Introduction on movies When they show montages yeah. Of these great mm-hmm. moments I mean a, a, Truly a star was born with that but then they kind of hit back again to that pre-code stuff, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, the black cat, which we need to cover on this podcast at some point. Right, is it's just... Valid, a, right? That is not, oh. but it is insane. You're, cat people. Cat people is what I'm thinking. Uh, the black cat is...
0: Was
1: it's an RKO picture, there, right? It's wild. No, black cat's universal. Oh. This has got, this has got them... You don't know anything, th- sir. This has got... You know nothing, john It's <laughs> no. arguably... <laughs> it's arguably... Uh, well... It's up there as the greatest Karloff Lugosi movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of, of their roles equally. And uh, wild to watch. It's, they get away with the yeah, shit they got away with back then. It's truly pre-code. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're dealing with necrophilia, actual bodies encased in glass displays. Tight. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a wild movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also one that they highlighted, which I was very excited to see, is the Black Room, which is a fantastic movie that he did with Columbia, where he plays twin brothers. Mm, then yeah. he plays the one he kills the one, and then plays the brother playing the other brother. Yeah. So he, in essence, has three roles. Oh, yeah. It's a wild
2: movie. It is.
1: Um, but then we get into Son of Frankenstein, um, the movie, the mad scientist movies that he jumps over to with Columbia. Uh, they hit on the very also important. his age
2: on his birthday on the set of Son of Frankenstein when his daughter is born. Was he
1: 50? Yeah. The day his daughter is born. Yeah, Roland Lee, and they got those Crazy. great pictures of them with the cake cutting it, which I don't want to gloss over, but I know we've covered it. Son yeah. of Frankenstein is wonderful. Oh, yeah. But in, I will say, if I'm being honest, Karloff is like fourth in line for why that movie's great. Oh, There's yeah. so much greatness going on with Lugosi and Atwell and that. But. He did a lot of Mad Sinus movies. Uh, the titles are very interchangeable. Uh, the Man Who Lived, you know, twice, nine times, Brain, Interchangeable, Die, Hang, Before I Hang, etc. Uh, then he had a great uh, run with Arsenic and Old Lace on the stage, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of his career in general, which they hit on. Uh, and then, as you reference Val Luton, he gets into the movies there where he made, I think it was three within The Body Snatcher, uh, Isle of the Dead, and Bedlam. Um, and from there, you know, then it starts to get into a little bit more open-ended stuff that's not as obsessed about. Uh, a lot of TV work, uh, they, they cover the infamous This Is Your Life episode, which he was not pleased about. And, and
2: they don't really elaborate on that. And, and maybe you know, was the reason, was it because he just didn't like being put on the spot? Was it because of his parentage? that he had tried to hide for so long that he was nervous of what he was about to be outed as and for? Like what what I think was the I think those problem? are way
1: juicier than what it is. I think he did not like being the center of attention. Okay. I didn't think he liked talking about me, 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 me. We got a yeah. whole episode to talk about me. Yeah. And my, especially if and you're my, going and you're
2: and, going to expecting to be a spectator and then all of a sudden they're like, Nope, camera's on exactly. you the whole night.
1: And he was and it, and it ties into the stuff with the, the protecting of, of with the labor and unions and how they approach the set and, and his relationship with the public. Mm-hmm. He liked being a character on screen, and that's it. I don't want to be asked on live television about my life. Yeah. And so he was just private, and I think... I don't think that there was anything in particular that he was upset about to cover. And I think that as they showcased, he was pleased to see a few people.
2: Jack Pierce in particular. Which was fantastic
1: because Universal did that man wrong. And so to bring him back. Universal did him
2: wrong, and Jack Pierce made Boris a star with that makeup.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. I think Boris loved him uh and and felt bad about the way that panned out so seeing him with some respect on live television was cool but that was an interesting angle with that that i honestly forgot about because i remember my dad telling me like hey it was on this is your life and he wasn't too happy about it you could tell on the show because like Lou costello they surprised and he wasn't too pleased but he leaned into it and ended up having a decent time i think with it but boris karloff demonstratively not excited I need to learn more about this show because I first
0: learned about it on the Manhattan Project series the last podcast where they brought like someone who like piloted one of the planes that dropped the atomic bomb and they're like this is your life by the way here's a survivor of the atomic bomb from Japan to tell you about how their day went that day I was like oh my
1: god (laughs) yeah they the the point of the show because I've seen a number of them it's it was to really showcase and celebrate somebody, but they frequently crossed the line. And I think their whole point with that was that they were trying to connect the Japanese
0: guy with the American guy right. to forgive him. To help. Like, yeah. Like, he was like, hey, I know you've carried this weight your whole life. I forgive you. But it kind of, like,
1: backfired. So what you should do, I think, in retrospect, is you bring them back after the taping's done. Yeah. Hey, as a bonus, we've been talking to this person. Yeah. Let us help you feel better. Yeah. Don't have the reactions on live television. But the the whole gimmick with that show is they would trick people. Yeah. And so then you would get truly genuine reactions because they don't have time to gather themselves. It's just like, holy shit, you got them. <laughs> hey. And so I think Karloff really resented, for instance, charity he'd done with theater groups. Yeah. He did not like that being shared because the whole point of that was to help. Yeah. That's somebody like Prince, Denzel Washington. They love helping people, but not if you hear about it. Kendrick Lamar.
0: Yeah. there it was, was a, just... I saw an interview with him on Vice where they... They were like, oh, hey, we talked to this high school. And he just automatically goes, man, how did you find out
1: about that? Like, Yeah, and I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you guys know, I, like with Prince, directly ties into Jehovah's Witness, yes. yeah. where charity is not to be recognized. Yeah,
2: yeah you, you are not allowed to take any credit or be credited with what what
1: you have done in okay, charity. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Don't let so your left hand know what your yeah. right hand is doing. And that directly ties into why I think he resented some yeah. of that. Because he liked telling people, but not with the intent of being celebrated on TV. Um, But then we kind of hit the resurgence with um, shock theater, uh, which on a a side note, we just on another episode covered Ed Wood. I always have found it terribly depressing that he, Lugosi was so close to this resurgence, which resurgence with shock theater. I mean like really close to where it would have changed his life because he was destitute and, and they could have worked something out, I think, even if nothing else with appearances with the renewed interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shock, the- Shock Theater definitely played a part with uh, Karloff, as did getting into hosting Thriller, which if you guys have never watched, is an excellent show that kind of leaned into some of the popularity of other shows at the time. Um, we've covered some of the movies in the 60s, Targets, Black Sabbath, The Grinch, Blows Up. Yeah,
2: And that's another example of how he was a humble person where... Sarah said that he called and typically did not uh, bring your attention to his work and said, Hey, I've just done something and I think that it's, I've really done something here. So if you and the boys would want to tune in and she said that was not, that was not something that he would do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we just covered targets. So go listen to that episode. If you want to hear a whole lot more about that, but I thought it was really cool that they got Peter Bogdanovich to share his story about getting Karloff to work on targets for him. This whole idea that he owed Corman a favor Corman, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, here you go, kid. You got Karloff for 36 hours or whatever it was, make it happen.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I mean, obviously he passes away at the end of the sixties, 1969, I think at age 81. Um, Past that, I mean, really the other thing I want to mention is just the talking heads. They have a lot of interesting people in there. Uh, at this point, I would consider him friend of the family, Greg Mank, um, was on there constantly. He wrote a great biography on Karloff and Lugosi, so he's one of the main talking heads throughout. Um, but then you also have uh, Guillermo del Toro, Ron Perlman, Christopher Plummer, Caroline Monroe, Roger Corman, John Landis, Joe Dante, uh, Lee Grant, Dick Miller, Peter Bogdanovich, Jack Hill, and... Um, and this is all the people that made the cut for the theatrical release. Then you watch the other, the, for the four-hour cut with the other two-hour footage they have. There's even more people popping wow. up in there. So. I, I
2: like the part where they're talking about, because he had emphysema so bad,
1: and that he was backstage for one of the shows. It was That was part of what played into his resentment going on. I think cause he wasn't feeling the best and coughing on live television. Uh, he wasn't prepared for it. I forgot about that. But he
2: was back in the wheelchair with an oxygen mask on, just looking like a shriveled old man. And then when it was time to go out, went out, did his bit, sang. Yeah. And then oh, went, yeah. left stage and sat down and became that shriveled old man be- again, but was able to pull it together to go out and perform.
1: Yeah. Consummate performer.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, The only other thing, uh, A, watching this reminded me just how old Dick Miller really was Mm. because he never showed his age much on screen. True.
2: He looked the same age for a very long time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, Homeboy was like 91 when he died. And you just forget how old he was because he looked the same on screen forever. Corey Feldman probably aged him at least. (laughs) (laughs) Shut the fuck up, kid. (laughs) Um, And then just interesting to note, just end of lives and careers, just the difference between. Karloff, Cheney jr Lagosi and uh, just just it's just kind of nice to see one just kind of fade off naturally
1: yeah and, and and always be comfortable he made great decisions yeah he was never ego driven yeah and that's why things shook out pretty good for right him. when the, by the time we ended this one I was like
0: oh thank God no right. great tragedy <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Feeling, really good point <laughs> just felt just felt good going to bed yeah. after watching that one
1: My hope is that uh, if this gets anybody to check out the documentary, if they haven't, that they get interested in some of the pre-code stuff, um, ranging from the non-horror to the horror performances. Like If you you took a week and watched Fu Manchu, The Black Cat, The Black Room, Scarface, Mm -hmm. Criminal Code, I think you're really going to be interested to see what all this guy was capable of. He was way more than just a reanimated corpse walking around for sure it's a loving documentary it
0: was it was another one I would add sincere yeah actually our our third one also yeah sincere
1: without question and it's refreshing too because typically these kind of documentaries on these stars are part of series where it's like 40 minute episodes yeah so it was nice to see a a true talent Mm -hmm. his career explored had a good time with it for sure yeah, it's a good one. Would recommend. It, yeah, any doc like this is good if it makes you want to watch the movies again, which yes. it did. I was like, "Ooh, I want to throw on some Karloff afterwards." So nice. Comes with the
2: recommendation, and it even got me to watch some I hadn't seen before. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Can you share a few? Uh, the one was where he plays the brothers. That oh, yeah. The okay. first time I watched this doc, I was like, "Ooh, oh, that's interesting." So I I ended up getting that one. I think I got that one through when they were still doing Netflix in nice. the mail and watched that one.
1: My father uh, watched that at my place when I was living up here in Muncie. Well, we went out and did some shopping with mm-hmm. the family, and he still hasn't forgiven me for not fixing the ratio on the TV. He <laughs> said, I watched The Black Room stretched. <laughs> so, there's that.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to uh, some of the Val Luton stuff that I've picked up, has been those double feature DVDs that they yeah. put out. And so I've got Isle of the Dead and Bedlam that nice. I need to watch still.
1: Isle of the Dead was the first movie I watched when the pandemic kicked off. Oh, there's that.
0: Okay. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's round out this. Triple crown of sincere documentaries <laughs> with your pick, Vinny. At the drive-in, uh, 2017,
2: this is, have well, I guess, uh, have either of you seen this before?
0: Yes. This is my second viewing. This is my second viewing okay. as well.
2: I've seen it one time before as well, and was just kind of uh, enamored with it when I saw it. I've, I've watched several, I think there's a sequel as well that I watched recently, but it, and Frankly, not near as good as this one is, right. But uh, it's about the Mahoning drive-in in Pennsylvania that is just hanging on by a thread, but the there are people who are working there who are very passionate about this place and keeping it alive and to the point where no one's being paid. They're all volunteering their weekends and their time to this place to help it succeed. It's owned by a guy named Jeff, who Jeff is a documentary weirdo. The whole crew are documentary weirdos in the best possible way and most loving way that I can say that. So this documentary is basically... It was originally going to be, I believe, a documentary about drive-ins in general. Yeah. But this one just kind of... uh, the cast of characters and everything just kind of caught the director's attention. Was like, well, how about we just focus on this one instead? So you follow through a season at this drive-in of basically what it takes to run a drive-in. Some of the issues that they run into, um, you get some rather interesting, deeper introspection with yeah. some of these. I mean it gets a little raw you get some raw emotion out of this oh yeah more so than i think you would expect out of it so i mean obviously we're this is not one you can go beat for beat with i don't think but uh i as we know i'm very nostalgic for uh like old tv like back when tv was local and that kitty hosts and horror hosts and all that kind of thing. And then an extension of that, of of the nostalgia for a bygone era that I barely tasted, was the drive-in. I remember going to the drive-in in Marion, Indiana when I was a kid. I remember my parents taking me to see the, the Fox and the Hound. And I remember going with my parents and a couple of their friends. They had a station wagon and I had a bed made up in the back. For me to go to sleep while they went to go see whatever the new Cheech and Chong movie was. (laughs) So I have that. I barely remember that drive-in. My earliest memory is Roger Rabbit and Field of Dreams. Double feature. Nice. So it had been a long time. And then there are a couple of drive-ins within a couple hours of where we live. And so when my son was a toddler... We started going to the one in Winchester the the At that time I think it was the airline twin drive-in Because it had two screens But I could be there with a toddler and my own vehicle And not bother other people <laughs> So we would go and, and do a family thing like that Plus it was cheaper to go to the drive-in Than it was to go to the theater in, the, in an evening And then a few years ago I discovered the Skyline drive-in in Shelbyville Which is family owned and operated since 1950 something they really lean into horror and they do a lot of fun dusk till dawn stuff so i go yearly to that and during the pandemic was drive-ins were great to go to because you couldn't go anywhere else so i have an affinity for drive-ins so that that's what Long way of getting to why I'm inter- was interested in this particular topic in this particular documentary. So when I saw it was available the first time and I watched it, really pleased with with it. Just it tickled that nostalgia for me. It's nostalgia, but I also sometimes have to remind myself it's not just nostalgia because I am currently living with that available to me. Yeah, I can go do these things still. So it's not a hundred percent nostalgia. But like uh, Joe Bob Briggs, I think had his first drive-in jamboree at the Mahoning Drive-In since oh, this has happened. Oh wow! And you know, people yeah, lined up down the destination hallway.
1: Yes, for drive-in cool. it, drive-ins in America. Yeah, for sure. So,
2: I don't know if you guys have anything uh, about
1: the actual documentary itself or
2: anything you wanted to go into. I've been blabbing for about five minutes. Was there a
1: dude who
0: would drive like two or three
1: hours? Every I've got weekend. a note. I love nostalgia. I love leaning into it. I love even. Maybe even being just a little destructive to your own life, just to lean into the things you like within reason. Driving six hours to work at the concession stand. Somebody find this man a closer drive in to go work at. I'm not judging, but I am. When he said, I was like, dude, for free. Jesus, stuff about not bathing and packing his clothes, you know, just to to go stay there for X number of days. That's a little much. Beyond that, I love all of it. Those guys were setting up cots and sleeping
2: bags in the drive-in in in the summertime. And any drive-in I've ever been to,
0: those buildings are not (laughs) air-conditioned. I like that it made the point at the very beginning that in the 1950s, there were 4,000 drive-ins in the country, and now there's only 300. Um, this one is original and not renovated, mm. so it sticks to that core. And I also found it interesting that early on, to run projectors, you had to get a heavy operator's, li- heavy machinery license to run them because they were, in fact, heavy machinery that could take off your limbs. Intense.
1: That's dedication,
0: though. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, so the premise, the setup for this one is that they have to have a profitable season or they close.
2: Because. No longer are movies being shipped on film yeah. to be shown on a projector. Everything is going digital. So if you want to show current movies and not just be a drive-in that runs old movies, you have to buy. You have to get a digital projector,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or you're out of business. So this season has to be profitable because the other ones haven't been either. And I think you're only allowed to claim a loss x amount of years on a business before you have to turn a profit. So this year has to turn a profit so that they can make those changes and can stay in business and that's kind of where you join them at for this. And it's a lot like that The Haunters documentary where it's the enthusiasm of a ragtag group of misfits who this thing brings them together. People put everything that they've got into it and... Again, it's just for a season, yeah. And then that season's over, and
0: you wait till the next year. What are you doing to fill your weekends yep. while winter's here?
1: Yep. Yeah, and it's yeah, it really is some of that same sentiment and devotion. But um, this has some some really raw honesty and, and sentiment from the people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that that stuck with me with me the first time viewing. Was was the guy being asked about you know having family? Jeff, yeah, and he's just like, yeah, I would have liked to, but I didn't. It didn't work out. Yep. But I love this. Yeah. I'm doing this, and so I relate to that. I've yeah. had you know serious relationships fall apart. But movies have always been there. Yeah. And so I really identify with some of the angles um, of the things that they talk about. Now, I'm not as devoted to something as driving six hours to work concessions <laughs> to drive in, but I, I not really yet yeah and i yeah I really loved um how honest they were in their answers because you could tell like they weren't real big on giving it it, yeah. it wasn't all about like for the camera mm. it was just like, okay, man, like if we're gonna have a real conversation, we're going to have a real conversation here's here's the truth, and I think it added a lot to it because this isn't just a business at stake this is you know this is more than that people mm-hmm. truly love this, and I think that's what makes this. Um, documentary so warm, it's so special, and I mean it truly captures the environment. We, I, you know, I just went to the drive-in with with Vinnie and, and friend of the show Brian Blair recently uh, at the beginning of October, and I was in love. And I, I can't, I mean, I'm wearing a t-shirt for the place right yeah. now. I was just completely enamored with it. it because they haven't they haven't gotten a bunch of stuff there at the skyline, in Shelbyville for nostalgic purposes. It's just still existing. Yeah. So you're truly walking into this time capsule from decades ago. And it's it's so charming. And you get the communal experience in a way that you don't even in theaters anymore. Theaters are still going, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. You're not going to Friday nights sold-out theaters very often where you're getting the, the group reaction and experience with that. But you do get some of that with the charm of a drive-in. And I do think that this documentary documents that and encourages and makes people want to go back to that environment is very effective in that manner. Yeah. We and I
2: know that there was definitely a, a boon to the industry during the pandemic that is starting to fade off a little bit now. Yeah. Cuz yeah. now people can go do other things and so they will and so not as many people are going to the drive-in as
0: were previously. And also
1: people get used to more and more the streaming. Yes. Life, I mean yes. it's just inevitable.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just case in point, last night, like, this new Five Nights at Freddy movie was coming out, and my last couple experiences at the theater haven't been great, because even the fancy new chairs don't work as good as they used to, Mm -hmm. and and so, like, I was like, God, I do want to see this, but I don't want to go to the theater to see it, and boom, it's streaming on Peacock, and I was like, problem solved, you know? Yeah. And I get it. I get why we should go support theaters and sure. drive-ins, but at the same time I, can, I get both sides of it. Yeah, we're like, losing something, and I understand why. Yeah, exactly.
1: But this this holds on to that other part. Yeah, and in a really effective way. One thing I do want to point out too, before we're done with it, is um, is interesting for me because I've went and done a lot of events in Pittsburgh. At this point, mm-hmm. there are some familiar faces I recognized. Oh, cool. In this documentary, like I've mm-hmm. went out to, you can't go there now. It's been leveled, but the airport from Dawn of the Dead. Oh. Um, so in this documentary, there's a guy who's talking about how none of his coworkers know anything about any of this stuff. Yeah. I talked to that guy at the, the mall, oh, cool. or the, the airport from Dawn of the Dead. And he actually, there's a picture I have of me in a tux, or not a tux, but a suit going into the screening of Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. He helped me find the building like Two minutes before that picture because he was walking around down there too. So it was, was kind of nice to see some familiar yeah. faces yeah. that had driven over to Pittsburgh for, sure. from this documentary. So,
0: yeah, it's a good one. Uh, one of my Every character's got a little charm, but one that cracked me up was the guy Robert in this one. I think he was the guy who could give you like an hour and a half explanation as oh, to yeah. why every movie is yeah. great <laughs> or terrible. He's like, mm, oh, no, that one is not very good.
2: And <laughs> I will tell you why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the one guy, I can't remember if it's Matt or Virgil. Has a great laugh. Yeah. He's always laughing. He's the one that by the end of it, he and his wife were expecting. Yeah. And uh, just a really, I don't know, man. It's just, it's its wholesome. There's nothing scummy about this nope. at all. Not a drop. No shitty, shady characters, anything like that. Like, just quirky, good people with, with a passion. And, and, and I really like the... Uh, the innovation where they were supposed to get their copy was at Jaws because they're still paying to have the prints sent to them
0: mm-hmm.
2: through the studio and uh, couldn't get it. So they figured out to use like four or five of those. Uh, I got anxiety digital, watching of those pro- trying to figure those it projectors out. that you can project Blu-rays and it worked. Yep. And they do that a lot since
0: they can't get the 35 millimeter anymore they're like we found out a way to rig an iPad and three mirrors <laughs> yeah. and project yeah, on the like screen they're
1: like calibrating multiple projections into a larger one and I'm like oh man it's so intense yeah.
0: yeah
2: and and they do that a lot and they still pay the studios uh-huh the rights the rights for it and show them and there won't be they will not be a 100% digital they still show 35 millimeter film, mm-hmm. nostalgia throwbacks and things like that when it's not first run stuff. Uh, but they tried; they were showing prom night two at the Skyline Drive-in when we were there a few weeks ago on 35 millimeter, and it was rough. They had to switch to a digital a copy copy by the end of it because audio wasn't lining up and whatever other problems they were having. 35 millimeters
0: tricky. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was one of the greatest twists in any quirky documentary that I've ever watched. Was they're like, "We got on Amazon and got what we needed for five hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't have to spend twenty thousand to overhaul our projector. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I did not see that. Coming. No, like, and we put a tiki mm-hmm. hut right mm-hmm. out here and, and built the whole apparatus and like, genius. Yes, it was. <laughs> I was like, this second time or like the first time around, I was just kind of. Absorbing the movie right. the second time around, I almost like stood up and cheered. <laughs> yeah, like, yes, yes, way to go, little man!
2: And and that's what was nice watching the little man outsmart. Yes, the big business.
1: Oh yeah, by using big business. Yep. Yeah, it's great, I'm just <laughs> it, was great. <clears throat> it was. It was exciting. So I think we all need to make a trick trek out there at some point. That'd be intense. Yeah. Be fun.
2: But yeah. yeah, I highly recommend this to anybody even with a passing interest like it's
0: such a good doc I agree for sure
1: watch it and go be inspired to go to a drive-in
0: Yeah, yes it's it's fun absolutely what a sincere trifecta we got here
1: what a treat What treat. (laughs) what a treat just what a treat
0: well wrapping up another documentary mash episode for the Midwest Monsters podcast I'm one of your hosts Grizzly Abner and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff Venomous Vinny stay scary